Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey, welcome to the last podcast of 2021 for the No Water Methodists, and uh, I think it's a good one. Before uh, we dive into the Word, just uh, remember that it's Christmas, even though Christmas for the world is only one day, Christmas for the church is 12 days, so this is the first of two Sundays that we have in the Christmas season. Um, Christmas season is a celebratory season, so it's not appropriate to fast. It's supposed to be a time of celebrating and rejoicing and feasting with family and friends. Um, I didn't know it, but this last Sunday, a lot of churches in America canceled worship, which I've always thought is the strangest thing in the world to do. I understand that for a number of people, congregating is a risky thing to do. However, just to, to not congregate is just an odd thing. The church, the word church literally means assembly. So there were a lot of churches that just did an online-only option, so we actually had some people join us in worship that they couldn't find anywhere else to worship, and they knew that we were doing I had no idea that other people were canceling it. So um, another housekeeping note, I guess, just for being prepared for this sermon, I don't craft my sermon the way that a lot of pastors do. I, I a long time ago, just came to the conclusion that very few people are saved, from a sermon. I'm not trying to save anybody in what I'm preaching. I'm trying to preach to the saved. I'm trying to equip the saints for ministry. Um, I'm not trying to win people over necessarily. Sometimes I can't help it, but I'm mostly just trying to earnestly and honestly and in a helpful fashion respond to the lectionary text that we've got. Sometimes I focus on one or two or three themes other times, like this last Sunday, it's like scattershot. You know, if you think of a rifle, a rifle shoots one bullet, goes one direction, it hits one point. If you think of a shotgun, a shotgun uh, spreads out. It has lots of different um, pellets, shrapnel, that, that go, they, they spread out. And that's kind of how I like to preach. My understanding is different people are in different places in their lives, and they need to hear different things. And while the truth is one, the gospel spreads out, to uh, address everything in life. So this week we we address a lot of stuff. I There's no way I'm going to summarize it accurately here, but our, our Old Testament reading and our Gospel reading both draw the connection between being faithful while you're young and not in control of your life and what that looks like. So we talk about the importance of submission and being under authority. Um, our, our Psalm 148 deals with just praising the Lord and, and telling everybody and everything to praise the Lord, and that being reflected in our Colossians reading where it ends with whatever you're doing, praise the Lord, give thanks to God. Um, so what, what does it look like when we design our lives so that everything is praising and giving thanks to God? So those are probably the two main things if I have to say, but we covered a whole lot of ground. I talked probably a little too fast. Um, but I think it was good, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was necessary. We have this one hour to get people out of the world and try and equip them for going back into the world, and one hour just isn't enough. So sometimes I 
I just do what little I can. Other times I really try and fit it all in, and I try to fit it in. <laughs> so uh, forgive me for being too ambitious. I've been a preacher for 10 years, 11 years. Uh, still haven't seemed to learn my lesson, but I love what I do, and, and I love talking about the most important stuff. I, I hope you enjoy thinking about the most important stuff, and, and I'm just so glad I get to be a person encouraging you in your life. So keep on with it and uh, let me know how I can help you. Okay, let's, uh, let's dive in. So today, as always, we're reading four readings out of uh, the Bible. And these readings were selected long ago by, before I was born, really, by people smarter than me. Um, and the, the thing that they're wanting us to connect today, we've got the boy Samuel. If you remember Samuel, I'll just give you a, a reminder. His mother Hannah and father Elkanah were of the tribe of Ephraim, not Levi, tribe of Ephraim. And uh, Elkanah had another wife, Peninnah, two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. We like Hannah. Peninnah was a mean lady because she was able to have children with Elkanah, and Hannah wasn't. And Peninnah was always rubbing Hannah's face in it and just making life miserable. You know, Hannah wanted some children. She wanted some babies. And so every year they would go to the town called Shiloh or Shiloh, where the tabernacle was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, where the people could come and do sacrifice and obtain forgiveness of sins and atonement uh, under Eli the priest and his two sons. And I don't remember their names. Their names don't deserve to be remembered because they were bad guys, all right? They were taking advantage of women who were coming to offer sacrifice. They were taking the sacrifices meant for the Lord and taking them for themselves. They were bad, bad sons. So God saw fit to give Hannah a son. She was in there praying one year, and she was just in a bad way. She looked like she was drunk. She was swaying around, and Eli said, Get out of here, you drunk lady. She said, I'm not drunk. I'm just really upset. I haven't had a, a child. And so Eli blessed her, and she went home, and what do you know? She had a child because she'd made a deal with the Lord. If you give me this child, I'll give him back to you. So... Whenever he was weaned, she brought her son, Samuel, to Eli, said, I promised him to the Lord, you take care of him now. Must have been only two or three years old whenever she weaned him. And anyway, the story picks up from there. The Eli's sons are wicked, but Samuel, he's a good young man. He's doing well in the tabernacle. The gospel reading today is going to be Jesus with his family at the age of 12, and his family is coming to Jerusalem every year for the Passover sacrifice. So we're going to be looking at the faithful witness. Usually in the, old, in the Bible, we're looking at the faithful witness of older and middle-aged people. Today, it's the faithful witness of young people, Samuel and Jesus. So I don't think I'm going to hit on that theme a whole lot, but if you're wondering what, what is it that they selected all four of these four, that's my theory. I think that's the common thread. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I'd welcome our first reader to come forward, read to us out of First Samuel. Good morning. Today's first reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 26, which you can find on page 428 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their home, and the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. 
Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. And now they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm a, a broken record preacher. I preach some variation of the same sermon every Sunday. You guys are probably really tired of it, but you're so sweet you don't say anything. So I just keep doing the same thing over and over. And I believe God's glorified in it uh, as you guys tolerate me and as I try and encourage you. Uh, but also, you know, Martin Luther said, I need to hear the gospel every day because every day I forget. You know, I think the reality is that we are obsessed with getting new things before we even absorb the old. You know, that's kind of what our culture is all about. That's how we produce so many new movies, so many new fashionable clothing lines. Uh, all of this is based on getting rid of the old and in with the new and just making that a regular part of life. Our faith is kind of the opposite of that. Our faith is taking that which is eternal and making it real every day of our lives, not updating it, not upgrading it, because what's perfect is not in need of an upgrade, okay? Uh, if, it don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The faith isn't broken. It doesn't need fixing. It just needs being lived out. And if people are having a hard time with that or they're not interested in that, then is the problem with the faith or with them? With them, says Mary Lee. Is Mary Lee right? Yeah, yes. If people find the faith boring, if they find it hard to access, if they think it should be easier, the problem is with them. Maybe they should work a little bit harder. Think about the most meaningful things in your life. Do they require much work out of you? I'll tell you, my wife and my kids are some of the most meaningful things in my life, but if I don't put the work into making my wife happy, isn't anybody happy in my household, okay? And if I don't put the work into making sure that my children are not rascals, Everybody is miserable and resenting me, okay? There's a guy named Jordan Peterson. He's a modern thinker. He says something that nobody wants to say. A lot of people don't like kids because a lot of kids aren't very likable. And that's the problem that goes back to their parents. A lot of parents don't exercise discipline. They don't correct their parents. They don't correct their kids when their kids are being annoying. By the way, this whole row of children is being amazing right now. I'm not at all making a dig against kids. Uh, if anything, my kids, well, you notice whose kids are not in here right now. <laughs> it's my kids. <laughs> but we correct those kids, and we make sure that they stay in line, and one day they're going to grow up to be adults that don't annoy people. But, you know, people need correction, and we need correction, and that's what the faith is about. The faith is about correcting us children who, when left to our own devices, are not just annoying but downright sinful and on the road to hell. Thank God we have a Father in Heaven who gives us the correction, not that we want, but that we need. And there are a lot of people who just aren't going to enjoy that, the same reason kids don't enjoy being corrected. If you've ever worked with kids that don't come from uh, a, a household where that's a, a part of things, I've, I've played with kids, I've been a part of children's ministry, I've volunteered with kids, and some kids you'll correct and they'll be like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, really bad. And then other kids you'll correct and they'll be like, who do you think you are? 
How, you're not my father. And they don't even have a dad at home usually, but they don't know how to take correction. And that's how a lot of people are with the faith of Jesus Christ. They come in and they hear a hard word from the Bible and they go, I'm not that bad. You're making me feel like I'm sinful. I'm not as bad as so-and-so down the street, preacher. How dare you make me feel bad about myself? It's not the preacher making you feel bad. It's God's word making you feel bad. And you should feel bad if you're living in persistent, unrepentant sin. And then the wonderful thing is not that God thinks you're so perfect he's going to tolerate all your willful sin. The good news is God loves you despite how ugly and nasty you are and can be. And he has offered you a way out of that through discipline and correction through his Holy Spirit. Isn't it so wonderful that God doesn't give up on you and me? And, and when you know that he didn't give up on you and me, he doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on anybody. Isn't, can you imagine what kind of love that is to have somebody spurn you all their life and continue to extend salvation and wholeness of life to them? I just, God's goodness is so beyond, you know, somebody is mean to me twice and I'm like, ah, whatever, I'm done with them, you know. But God, he just continues to pour out his blessings upon you and me and shed his grace upon the world. Is God not so good? I didn't mean to go into all that. I don't even know why I got started in this, but this first Samuel reading You've got Eli's sons held up against Samuel. And you've got us held up against Hannah. I love Hannah. Hannah, here's this woman's faith. She goes, she's like Abraham, right? Remember, Abraham was more than 100 years old before he finally got his first child, Isaac. And then God says, give him to me. Go kill him. And he's willing to give up his only son because God told him to. What faith? Hannah here, she's been waiting on a child all her life. The Lord finally gives him to her. And she gives him right back to the Lord. She doesn't kill him, but she's, she puts him in a place where she only sees him once a year. It says she made him a coat every year when she came to see him. And the hard thing about that is they didn't have FaceTime or uh, 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 YouTube or anything where she could see how big her child was. She had to just guess his size to make him a coat. Can you imagine how nerve-wracking that is? I imagine she just made it way too big, and then she would just trim it down when she saw him. But I don't know. I'm not a coat maker. But she, she loved him. She saw him once a year. But because of her faithfulness, she gave him back to the Lord. And then the Lord continued to pour out his blessings upon her. She had five more children. I've only had four. God has been well, and we haven't even had the fourth yet. I'm so excited for this number four. But Hannah had five children. What a wonderful blessing. But when you think about us and how we are, has there ever been anything that you really waited on for a long time and you finally got? Think on it. Is there anything you ever wanted for a long time? Could be a child, could be a wife. Man, I waited on my wife for a long time. Uh, could be a job. Man, some people, yeah, they go to school for so long. Let's think about a job. There's a career you wanted to go into. There's, there's some money you wanted to make. Yeah, let's go with this metaphor. There, there are several people that I've helped. They were homeless or they were just barely getting by on government money. They come into the church. I start meeting with them. They start getting some regularity in their life, and what do you know? We're able to find them a job, and they're making money. The temptation then is to hold on to all that money, hoard all that money. And I've seen a lot of people do this. They actually get further away from me. They stop showing up. They start going, well, I'm okay now. I don't need you anymore. Not only do they not see me, they don't give to the church that has supported them. There is no tithing whatsoever. Uh, there's just holding on to my money, doing what's right for me, and then they fall away. And what do you know? Two, three, four years later, everything falls apart. And they're tracking me back down saying, man, everything fell apart. I need more help. Hannah here, God blessed her, gave her what she'd been waiting on, and she gave it right back to the Lord, and the Lord blessed her. A lot of people don't realize everything good is from God. They go, I do the work. I pay the rent. 
I've gotten all this money for myself. I'm going to hold on to it. It's mine. I'm not going to give to the poor. I'm not going to give to the church. It's my money. And, of course, we're talking about a child here. And I want you all to hold on to your children. Please don't start dropping them off at the church. You know, we don't have the infrastructure for that. But when we're talking about just the blessings that God has given us, how many of us, we hold on to our blessings. No, oh, I'm not sharing with you, God. I'm not trusting you with anything. I, you know, my money is best spent by me. Money is really the best example. I think that's why Jesus preached about money so much. He said, for where your money is, there your heart will be also, right? And so that's a big testament to, to our faith. Whenever God is blessing me with stuff, do I hold on to it or do I freely share? And it's not just with the church. Jesus says to give to the poor a heck of a lot more than he says to give to the church. How many of us are looking for poor people in need? How many of us, we were looking at John the Baptist's words last Sunday. He says, if you have two coats, give one to someone who has none. How hard is that? Well, it's kind of hard when we only surround ourselves with rich people like us. It's kind of hard when we don't know our neighbors and the needy of our neighborhoods. So that's, that's one of the sermons I give over and over. We should know our neighbors. We should know the needy people around us. How sad is it that there are people suffering two, three, four doors down from us, and we don't even know because we don't even care. We don't even show up on their doorsteps. Hey, I'm Jeffrey. How are you? How can I be a good neighbor to you? What's going on? Who else lives here? You start feeling nosy? Good. Love is nosy. When you love your child, are you nosy about what's going on in their life? You betcha. And if you've been shamed out of being nosy in your kid's life, you, you feel no shame. You gave them life. You ask what's going on. You deserve to know, okay? And if they're mean to you, you just remind them. What was it, Bill Co I know we're not supposed to talk about Bill Cosby anymore, but what did, what did he say? I brought you into this world, and I can take you back out of it. That's not a very Christian thing to say. You know what? Scratch that. Don't say that. Don't say that. The other example we have here is Samuel, and Samuel is just humbly serving. You know, you've got Eli's sons that that turned away from faith and they were abusing their office and they were here's here's the difference between them and Samuel they were being ruled by their stomachs and by their their loins they're they're they're, they're giving into their lower urges okay they're they're taking advantage of women and they're eating food these are the this is the area of unholiness we are appealing to this area as Christians we appeal to the heart and we appeal to the head that's the region that we allow to govern us our hearts are saved and changed by Christ Jesus our heads are made to understand true doctrine. And between this cooperation of these areas, we can become noble. We can become holy as God is holy. That's how Samuel chose to live as a young man. He's only 12 years old. No, he's not even 12 in this. It's Jesus who's 12 in today's reading. He's just a young man, humbly going year to year, wearing a linen ephod and a coat that his mother made him. That's all he's got in the world. He lives in this tabernacle with an old man and his two wretched sons. And he's just humbly serving the Lord year to year. And because of Samuel... Israel is guided through thick and thin by the Lord directly, by Samuel's prophetic hand. He's able to be whom the Lord requires. And one night, the Lord calls out to him in the night and says, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel comes. And what does he eventually learn to say? What does the Lord tell him to say? Here I am, Lord. Tell me what you want me to do. And that story is about us. When we live the right way, we're listening for God's call. And then we answer, here I am. Tell me what to do. Now, the last word I want to say on this is Eli's sons. This is a hard teaching. Because it says, Eli... says, his sons hearkened not unto the voice of their father because the Lord wanted to slay them. 
He wanted to hurt them. He wanted to, to, to condemn them. And this is one of the things that we have a hard, we have a hard time with a hard-hearted God, a God who gets mad and he wants to punish us. A lot of us, we serve a God who's just so loving and he could never be mad at anybody. And, and the Bible God that you find is he's mad at a lot of people. And there are a lot of people he's, he's kind of hoping they won't repent so he doesn't have to forgive them. He's looking forward to punishing them very much. And that's how Eli's sons were. They had so profaned God's ministry. They had so done damage to people who were seeking the Lord that the Lord was looking forward to slaying them. But if they had turned and repented, what do you think would have happened? I think God would have forgiven. We have a God who forgives repentance. And, you know, I'm not talking about just stealing a little money from the, the candy store. I'm not talking about telling a little lie. I'm talking about the worst of the worst sins our God can and will forgive if we but repent. And repent means naming the sin and turning from it and resolving to walk right with God. That's repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. It means a change of life, change of mind, right? We're talking about the power of the mind. Metanoia is actually changing. It's not just saying I'm sorry. It's saying I'm sorry and then resolving to change. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can change. The problem is a lot of people don't want to repent. Oh, I do all this work for the Lord. You mean to tell me I can't get a little something for myself? We can justify it all the ways we want to. There are people who justify themselves up to the point of death, and they find a God who is harsh and judgmental and will not let them in. And then there are people who realize, I am a sinner not worthy of anything good, but God through his grace has given me everything good. And I hide not behind my own righteousness, but behind the righteousness of Christ Jesus, his only son. That way leads to salvation every time. That's what the Bible extends to us. Your righteousness, you're not going to make it. Jesus' righteousness is enough for you. It's enough for all of us. And our lives are not meant chasing the desires of the flesh, of the stomach, of the loins. Our lives are best met chasing the desires of our heart. And what does our heart desire above all things? Peace. Love. So we'll return to those things with our New Testament reading. But I'll stop preaching for now. Let's sing a little bit more. Our next hymn is, O Little Town of Bethlehem, number 230. Amen. Let's, uh, let's go to our psalm. Psalm 148 is on page 861 of your hymnal. And we've done this one a few times, so the, the song response should sound pretty familiar. Let all things their creator bless. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Let's sing that through one time, and then Cody will lead us through the psalm. Let all things their creator bless. Alleluia. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all his angels. Praise the Lord, all his hosts. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all shining stars. Praise the Lord, highest heavens and all waters above the heavens. Let all things their creator bless. Alleluia. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who commanded, and they were created. Who established them forever and ever. 
and fix their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and smoke, stormy wind fulfilling God's command. Let all things their creator bless. and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above heaven and earth. God has raised up a horn for his people, Praise for all his faithful ones, for the people of Israel who are near their God. Praise the Lord. Let all things What does the word hallelujah mean? Praise the Lord. Praise y'all the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. It means the same thing. So I always were singing hallelujah, hallelujah, saying praise the Lord. We're singing the words that all creation should be singing. As we go through Psalm 148, it's going through all the different things in all the creation, all God's creation saying praise the Lord, bless the Lord, praise the Lord. Why? Because that's actually what the creation was created to do. A lot of people don't know this. Our first, yes, we were created to breathe. Yes, we're created to eat. Yes, we're created to make babies. Before all of that stuff, our primary purpose that God made us and all of creation for is praising him. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before the creation of the world, all that existed between them was love. And love and worship are closely related. And then out of that love, all of creation was made, and they made the creation to reflect the love between them, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God, Godhead. The nature of life, the nature of love is worship. And so God created us before anything else to worship him, not just on Sunday mornings, but in everything we do all the time, everything we say, everything we think, everything we do is made to bless our creator in heaven. Now, what if it doesn't? What then? Shucks, I'm going to hell. What? What do we do? I've got something in my life that is not glorifying God. What then? What do I do? Quit it. Stop it. Stop it. Do or, or augment it. Align it so that there are people that have a wife that their marriage does not glorify God at all. Do, are they supposed to throw their wife away? No. They're supposed to learn how to sanctify their marriage. Okay, it's like anything, anything else in life. If you have a job and you're dropping F-bombs every five minutes, you're with a bunch of people who don't love the Lord, the answer is not to quit your job and leave it all behind and just be homeless. Although sometimes it probably could be. That's fine. It's not a sin to be homeless or poor. But a lot of times you have to just learn how to be holy in the midst of an unholy place. Gee, isn't that what Jesus did? He calls us to be like him. We have to learn to make things holy that are unholy. That's what Jesus did. He went to lepers. He went to sinners. He went to tax collectors. He called them to repentance and holiness. 
Is it any different with us? Absolutely not. Our role as Christ's emissaries in the world is to issue this call of Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord mountains. Praise the Lord hills. Praise the Lord trees. Praise the Lord Bud Callison. Praise the Lord Frank. Praise the Lord Sarah Beth. That's what we're doing here. We're just reminding each other the most important thing in life is living lives that bless and praise the Lord. And what if I find that boring? Ah, oh, man, just a fuddy-duddy. He's always talking about Jesus. Wants everything to be so holy. Oh, Mr. High and Mighty, oh, so holy. Mr. Flanders over here. The world has always thought that holy people are fuddy-duddies, that we're unnecessarily harsh, that we take things too seriously. Man, we have a generation around us that loves to laugh, don't we? Oh, man, everybody loves to laugh so much. What depresses me is when I get together with preachers, and, man, the preachers love to laugh. And preachers aren't that funny. They'll sit around cutting up, and it's just so lame. And it, the thing is, we're not here to laugh and be cutting up. That happens sometimes because life is funny. Man, if you want a funny life, have kids. Those things are crazy. But the thing is, our purpose in life is not to laugh. laugh just laughter just comes. Our purpose in life is to be holy. And to pursue God and love God back, trying to love him as much as he loves us, as impossible as that is. That's the point of life. And that is so much more important than turning on the TV and laughing at a sitcom. That is so much more important than turning on your internet and looking at porn. You know, there are a lot of things that people choose to do with their life that are not nearly as important as learning to love and glorify and appreciate and thank God. And live a life that glorifies him. And that's what, I, I used to think this, hymn, this psalm was so boring. Okay, I get it. You, praise the Lord. You, praise the Lord. The most important thing in life is reminding other people, you were made not for yourself, but for God. And it's to praise and glorify him all your life. Argument over. I should stop preaching right there. I should just close it and say, Sarah Beth, I'm going to do that to y'all sometime. We're going to just not do anything less. But we're going to talk, we're going to go through a little bit more scripture here. The other thing I want to highlight, because it's the hymn I want to come back to. I shouldn't have closed it. It was on page 7, 861. All right, it's, it's talking about different kinds of people, all the kinds of people that should praise God. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Fine. Young men and maidens together, old men and children. Something that's important to be clear about. I was looking at pictures of this church back in the day when we were burying the, um, the, the box. Whenever we built the new church building and they built the box, it was when Kermit Dodd was here. And it took a picture of everybody here sitting out on the sidewalk over there. And there were, only, there were probably 60 people there. And there were only about three people that still had color in their hair that were sitting there. It was all white. And I love older folks. Don't get me wrong. I love you older folks. I'm going to look at somebody who's not old. I, I love you. But the thing is, is it just an old people's game? Is Christianity just an old people's thing? So many churches, it is. But the reality is, is there any stage of life where it's not necessarily the most important thing to follow Jesus? Let's be honest here. Is there any stage of life where the most important thing is not following Jesus? A lot of people look at childhood like that. You know, we're just teaching them how to read and write and say please and thank you and not be little, he little jerks, you know? A lot of people don't talk to their kids until later, you know, and teenage years, you know, no, you don't want to impress anything upon them. You don't want to force anything. Let them choose it, right? Just like you let them choose whether or not they should speak English or obey American law. You're going to let them choose which God they serve, the most important thing in the world. 
Can you tell I'm being sarcastic? Don't give them a choice. It's the most important thing in the world. Why on earth would you let them choose damnation? Do you not love your child? So we look at teenagers like that. Oh, early 20-somethings, oh, they're, they're going through college. They're not making any money. They really need to focus on that. You know, Jesus can wait. Oh, but then they get married, and then they have kids. And, you know, raising kids, oh, man, that's so hard. That's so demanding. They really need to focus on that. You know, faith can wait. And then they've got a career going. And, man, it requires 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And, and they're, they're trying to make a nice nest egg to care for them and their wife later in life. They surely can't follow Jesus to the degree that maybe, maybe you see how this works. You can punt the ball further at every stage of life. But you can tell what I'm going to say from here. There is no stage of life where God does not demand 100% faithfulness. And it is a hateful thing to make room for a person not to measure up to the standard of Christ. Because that is the only place where they will have salvation. To try and create some imaginary space where God is not going to hold people accountable is to just lay a snare for them to be sucked into hell. If you believe that there's consequences for the way that you live, then you do not let anybody think that there is a stage of life where there's no consequences. Consequences are around us whether or not we want them to be, whether or not we see them. The most loving thing you can do is to make sure other people see it and know it so at least they're making a, a sober decision. I feel so sorry for people that are around Christians, but Christians never tell them the raw deal, and they think they're okay because, hey, so-and-so is a Christian and we're friends, and he never preaches at me. One day they're going to die and appear before our Lord and judge, and things are not going to be okay. And they're going to say, I wish Jeffrey sure would have told me. Now I'm paying the price because he was too afraid to talk to me about it. What a sad thing. I shouldn't end on that note. Well, yeah, let's go back to, let's, let's go back to the themes of the, the, the desires of the heart are peace and love. And then let's, let's turn to our New Testament reading. Let's have that reader come forward. Today's third reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, which you can find on page 1662 of your Pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels and mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This is the word of the Lord. So I don't need to preach much on this because we've already laid the groundwork. Did you hear the peace and love in there? And when you hear it, don't hear hippie 1960s peace and love. When we're talking about the peace of Christ, we're talking about peace on God's terms, okay? We're talking about having hearts that have no anxiety whatsoever. That's that's the yearning of the human heart, to be completely at rest. And when we're talking about love, we're talking about something that reflects the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. We're talking about not worldly love. You know, a slogan that we'll hear out in the world is, love is love. No, it's not. God's love is love. Okay, just because I feel a loving feeling in my heart does not mean it is God's love. Okay, people with good intentions do all kinds of awful things that displease the Lord. 
If you want to know what love is, open your Bible. And if it doesn't resemble that, it's not love. That's not a hard thing. It's a simple thing. It just means there are a lot of people who think they know what love is who, who don't. One of the meanest things you can do to somebody is have them tell you who they are and to look at them in the eyes and go, no, you're not. Who are you to tell me what I am? I told you what I am. You can't tell me who I am. Your identity is not determined by you. Your identity is negotiated with the world around you. If I get up here and say, I'm a purple fairy, you would say, I don't see any purple. You might be a fairy, but you are not purple. You know, I hope you don't, don't call me a fairy. That's mean, okay? I should have come up with a different thing. <laughs> but the thing is, just because I say I'm purple doesn't make me purple. You would say, no, I, respectfully, Pastor Jeffrey, you are delusional. Our world has lost its sanity where people can just say, I don't feel like I'm 60. I'm 20 years old. And some people will say, uh, okay, whatever, if you identify 20. The, the thing our culture is going through right now is, I know I look like a man, but I'm actually a woman. And it's expected that we'll go, oh, oh okay, yeah, miss, all right. We have to learn to lovingly say, no, you're not. I, I don't hate you, but you're a man. You know, I, I know something that all of us feel weird in our own bodies at some point. And it's not that God did anything wrong. It's not that I'm different than how I was made. It's that we're all aliens traveling on this weird planet Earth. And we feel alienated. And the answer is not to change. Well, the answer is to change something. <laughs> it's to change from being an agent of evil to being one with Christ Jesus. That's the thing that's off base. And the world keeps coming up with other things. No, 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 I just need a lot more money, and then I'll be happy. No, 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 I just need a sex change, and then I'll be happy. No, 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 I just need to, to sleep around a lot, and then I'll be happy. You know, you, this is all around us. And then Christians have to lovingly say, no, that won't make you happy. The only thing that's going to make you happy is being established in the love of Christ Jesus and the peace that surpasses all understanding coming out of that. And if you're chasing anything else... Not only will that make you not happy, that will condemn you to eternal suffering. So let me tell you about Jesus. Has that, was I, I feel like I was really clear right there. Did everybody hear me? That is the most important thing. That is what we're here to do. And every day that we are letting people persist in sin and we are not offering a way out of that, I want you to learn to see that as a hateful thing. We see that as a polite thing. Well, maybe they know what they're doing. Maybe hell's a good place for them. That's not loving. The other things to note in this readings are, this is where it tells us to sing together. Teaching and admonishing. Do you know what admonishing means? Correcting. Church is supposed to be a place of correction. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Isn't that quite a thing? That's all I need to say there. And then the last one is, whatsoever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is what I was preaching a little bit ago. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think should be rooted in and glorifying Christ Jesus. And if it isn't, stop it, augment it, get it right. I already gave that sermon. So let's move along. Let's, um, let's sing about this love that we know through Christ Jesus. Number 242, love came down at Christmas. Today's gospel reading comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, which you can find on page 1431 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Tarried means stuck behind, hung out. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. They knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, they were traveling with a crew, big group of people, family. They assumed Jesus was with them. Uh, they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. Okay, let's just put ourselves in their shoes. Your parents of a 12-year-old boy, you've made a trip, uh, I think it's about 50 miles from Nazareth. I should have checked this, but they're on foot. They don't have cell phones. They don't have landlines. They have no means of communication from place to place. They've already been on the road a day. They discovered that their son did not leave Jerusalem with them. He's in an urban center. They have no idea where he is, what he's doing. How do parents feel in this situation? I'll tell you, my son Jesse is two years old. He's two, isn't he? Three, excuse me. I was going, no, that's not right. He's three. If he was 12 years old and we took a trip to another town... And he left us behind and decided he needed to hang out in St. Louis for a bit. I would lose my ever-loving mind. If he, got it, if he ditched his cell phone and I had to just look around, I would, I would kill that child. I would want to find him just to kill him for hurting me that bad. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be his parents. And then you have this child who is perfect. He's the son of God. What do you do? Verse 46. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. When it says doctors, it doesn't mean medical doctors. It means experts in the law, okay? Verse 47, And all that heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Why would you do us wrong like this, is what she's saying. Behold, thy father and I have sought thee, sorrowing, we were worried to death about you. We were so sad. We thought somebody killed you. That's what's behind these words. And Jesus said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? This is a weird... Uh, we shouldn't have done the King James for this version. It's a weird way of talking, but he's saying, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be at the temple? Didn't you know this is where I must be? Mom, don't you remember the angel that appeared to you before I was born? Dad, don't you remember the angel that warned you to go to Egypt? Because you guys know who I am. Don't you know where I would be? Now, first off, you know, his parents don't argue with him. But first off, if I know who Jesus is, why would he be in the temple and not out on the streets exercising demons and healing people? How am I supposed to know he's in the temple and not in the streets, right? None of these questions are asked. They just go, and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. That was it. And I can't help but think of the apostles, right? All throughout his ministry for three years, they see these miracles, they hear him teaching, and yet they never understand what he's talking about, right? They didn't understand the sign of the five loaves and the two fishes. They don't understand anything he says until after he's resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes. That's when they understand everything. My answer to this has to be the reason his parents were worried and they didn't know is because God had, had veiled their sight. They, you know, we always think, man, if I went back in time, I would see it all. I think the reality is back then, nobody could see who Jesus was. The story had to take place the way it took place. And it was only when the Holy Spirit came that their eyes were opened and they could see everything for what it was. We take that for granted, 
we look back on them and they're like, they're a bunch of dumb dumbs. No, they're as dumb as we are. They were as dumb as we are. We're not any smarter than them. We're not any more clever than them. We're not any more faithful than them. We need that Holy Spirit. That's the thing you say amen to. I'm going to get one of those applause signs and then just put amen on it. And y'all will know when to say amen. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. The thing I want to end on is the thing that I wish I had heard as a young man. I was not a good child. I was not a good son. I was not a good student. I had an anti-authoritarian bent in me. Uh, I talked back to everybody. There were several times I should have gotten arrested. I was mouthing off to a police officer. They decided to be nice to me for some reason. I, was, I spent a lot of time in the principal's office in high school and even in junior high. Uh, I remember one time my dad getting right up in my face should have laid me out, but he withheld himself. I had been speaking very inappropriately to my father. Thing is, our faith requires us to be submissive. And that's something our culture hates, but it is all throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Jesus himself, the only begotten son of the father, came and was submissive to peasant normal parents that were surely ignorant in a whole host of ways. It says... He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. He obeyed the fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. And that's not easy. Who here has had a hard time keeping the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother? Go ahead and admit it, you sinners. It's hard. It's very hard. And depending on who your parents are, it's harder for some than for others. Some parents are real piece of work. Some parents, the way you honor them is by staying away from them because it isn't going to go any other way. But a lot of us have given up on honoring our parents. We've given up on honoring our leaders, honoring authority. Some people, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny, but anybody get on YouTube and watch these people who they get police to pull them over and then they refuse to comply? Oh, that is so wrong. I just, oh, in the Constitution it says this, and you can't do this. Finally, finally, sometimes a policeman will just tear their window out and tear them out of the car kicking and screaming and go, yes, justice. I shouldn't feel that way. But the thing is, God has put people in authority over us, right? That's an easy one. God has put people in authority over us, right? And our job in life is not necessarily to... And I know we live in America where we had a revolution and we killed a bunch of people over freedom and stuff. And I'm not saying anything about that, but I am saying in our daily lives, scripturally, our lives are supposed to be marked with compassion, getting along, and even honoring those who are in authority, isn't it? If you disagree with me, just go home and read your Bibles. Here, it's what Jesus modeled. It's what all the early Christians modeled. They only disobeyed authority whenever it put them at odds with God. And then they said, I'm sorry, I hate to disobey, but I fear God more than I fear you. But in Romans, it says flat out that God has given the sword to the state for a reason. And our lives lived here on earth is sometimes meant not to insist on everything being perfect, but in dealing with an imperfect creation and bearing it as best we can, as Christ Jesus did. What I'm talking about, it's a simple concept. Is it easy to put up with idiots? Is it easy to suffer fools? Oh, it's so hard. And I'm, I'm such a hypocrite given this sermon right now because I do such a bad job at it even now. If you put me back in my teenage shoes, I might be every bit the jerk that I was back then. I don't know that God has sanctified me at all on this front. But I pray for that sanctification because there is nothing worse 
than a prideful man. Maybe a prideful woman. Should I end on a bad joke? Listen here, brothers and sisters. We've had a good long time together. I've, I've talked faster than usual. I wanted to fit a lot in. I thank you for being good to me and, and tracking all this. I hope you've gotten something out of the scattershot theology approach today. You're going to go home and you're going to keep having Christmas. You're going to be with your families. You're going to, I want you to go home and try and be holy. If I could exhort you to do one thing, go home and be holy with the people that you're living with, even with the animals. As you go to work, go home and be holy in your work. As you do, interact with your friends, or your neighbors, even your enemies, seek holiness because it's only in holiness that you're going to find the peace and the love that you crave. And I want that for you. And who cares what I want? The Lord has designed that for you. So go do it.